0: Welcome to Silencing Women in the Name of God, I'm Devry. Today, we are talking to Catherine. Now, Catherine was introduced to me by a mutual friend who opened the email with, you must meet each other. You have similar projects, similar passions, you have to talk. And she was right, we did need to talk. Catherine is amazing. Catherine actually runs a podcast herself called Uncertain Podcast that deals with uh, religious trauma and surviving religious abuse. Uh, Excellent. Everyone should check it out. In addition to that though, today what we have is we have Catherine sharing her own story of growing up in that environment, uh, what it looks like when you are told that your only purpose in life is to get married and have babies, uh, that you should not go to school, uh, what happens when you go to school anyway, and the emotional fallout of that, uh, what family means, and so much more. Thank you for being here. Once was a woman who lost her way. She wandered through thickets and thorns. They told her her pain was not but the price of finding her soul again. So Catherine and I were introduced by a mutual friend uh who is amazing she uh michelle hazen who is a writer uh an editor and she has also decided to just become the connector i'm just gonna start calling her
1: that the connector. she is a good connector
0: yeah she uh. she's very you know you guys have similar goals and similar interests like i totally need to introduce you and so uh she hooked us up we had a phone call that was about an hour and and I was like, "This is amazing! Absolutely, we need to have a longer conversation." So, um, I'm super excited to for everything we're going to talk about, and for the projects that you're working on on the podcast and the like, the so so much stuff. So, I'm actually going to read your bio really quick, um, and then we aren't going to have enough time to hit even like half of what we're going to try to hit today. <laughs> so, we got to get going. Es- okay. Estimate. Yes. So, Catherine Spearing is the founder of Tears of Eden, a nonprofit supporting survivors of spiritual abuse. She hosts Tears' affiliate podcast, Uncertain. Uh, that is on Instagram at Uncertain Podcast, and is the author of a historical romantic comedy, Hartford's, a novel that challenges gender roles in a patriarchal society and will appeal to fans of Jane Austen. She writes regularly at KatherineSpearing.com, and you can follow her on Twitter at Kate Spearing and Instagram at Catherine Spearing. You are a busy woman. Okay, so I'm actually, I'm excited to hear the story because... Uh, I've done a pre-interview with every other guest except you. And I felt comfortable doing it because you do a podcast and you've told your story a million times, but that means that I'm hearing this for the first time, which is exciting mm-hmm. for me. So all I know is that you started out life in what you call, and I, I'm saying this cause I haven't heard the story. I don't know what we're talking about yet, but you refer to as a cult, Mm -hmm. Um, and then you move on from there into some other experiences and yeah, girl, the floor is yours. Like, all right. Talk to us about your experience growing up.
1: Right, right. Yeah. So I started calling it a cult very recently because I, uh, work with survivors of spiritual abuse from the evangelical church community and as I was studying spiritual abuse, I realized my upbringing, which I always called, oh, it was spiritually abusive. Oh, it was spiritually abusive. Oh, it was spiritually abusive. And as I was studying this more and more and more, I'm like, oh, what I went through growing up was actually like cult level. Mm. Um, Mm -hmm. And so there's spiritual abuse and then there's cult. And that's what I experienced. So when I finally realized that, um, it, yeah, it was just like three or four. Four years ago, and wow. I was like able to put that word to yeah. that experience and mm-hmm. all of the check boxes for like what a cult is of having like a, a main leader and having um, outside world you know cut off from the outside world isolation brainwashing all of the things, right. um, but the cult leader was my father and it's a patriarchal oh. movement. Where like it's basically it it basically gives fathers license to make a cult it, they call it a kingdom <laughs> uh, a little okay. kingdom
0: okay so I need so I'm gonna have you define spiritual yes abuse in just one second mm-hmm. but first I need mm-hmm. to ask so does so this this kingdom is is there mm-hmm. a name it's like there's an umbrella name that this uh, falls yeah under? Pa- it's
1: uh it's the patriarchal cults. Um, uh, a lot of women will call it like the stay at home daughter movement, but it, that just encompasses how it treats the, the women. It definitely impacts the men too, yeah. but the men are raised very differently. Um, okay. and so, yeah, I call it the patriarchal cult. Um, there's, uh, yeah, like the leaders are like people like Bill Gothard or Doug Wilson or Doug Phillips. Don't name your child Doug. Um, and <laughs> <laughs> yes, noted. <laughs> the, no, no Dougs. Um, sorry, sorry, Doug. <laughs> yeah. So there's a lot of there's a lot of little like siloed movements, and and a lot of people want to just call it like this, like fringe movement, like oh, over there, like the cult, the compound is uh, over there. Um, but the patriarchal world it's a, it's like a subset of like the homeschool world. And it, it is very politically active. And so there's Mm. a lot of involvement in what is happening on the political scene. It Mm -hmm. is impacting the United States of America. (laughs) Very, very, very heavily impacting, intentionally impacting. And part of taking over the world is having lots of children and you raise them, indoctrinate them. They will even say those words, like you indoctrinate them. I jokingly, but seriously, they will say you brainwash your children. They will say that. Um, And so that's their way of taking over the world is having lots of children and having them have lots of children and that sort of thing. So
0: that is, is there Okay,
1: this is a weird question. Is there a
0: documentary on Netflix about this group because
1: I watched a preview and I swear to god it's exactly what you Duggers. are saying. Duggers. Duggers. Uh, okay. 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 Come from there. Um there's this uh it's on Hulu called like Pleasantville or Plainville or something okay. like that. I didn't watch it because a friend of mine said just don't it's it's triggering. It's, yeah, um, yeah, yeah.
0: Okay. But so yeah so within this within this religion i just want to make sure we've set this up right because i'm i actually haven't run into this before if it's mm-hmm. what i think i'm understanding so there isn't like a head where it's just like okay there's the preacher and everything filters down it's actually taught like okay if you're the man mm-hmm. you become your own, your family becomes its own church and so you are the head of the household and the head of the church mm-hmm. is that correct mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Okay. There. No, much. yeah. This is new. I have not. Wow. Okay. Mm-hmm. So, really quick define spiritual abuse for everybody and then go ahead and tell us about growing up in this environment, like what that actually looked like for you.
1: Yeah. Um, so the definition that we use for Tears of Eden for spiritual abuse is a deliberate use of God in the Bible to cause shame and harm, leading to a breakdown in relationship between God, self and others. And so Mm. that is what I experienced in overt form in the cults. And then many years later, on staff at churches, um, uh, that same type of thing, just in a a much more subtle way. But Mm -hmm. the way that it showed up for me in in the cult or in my family of origin and mm-hmm. for our purposes just focus i'll just focus on the and for the p- purpose of your podcast focus on just the, the dynamics of what it was like being a woman in yeah. this particular community when i was in seminary um when i was like uh, early 30s i wrote a poem while i was in seminary and the poem was called the rules and i cannot find the poem i have searched far and wide. <laughs> I emailed it <laughs> to people. It's not in my email. I cannot find uh. it. Um but it was called the rules and it was basically things like um even if you are if whoever if your father is wrong, he's right. Even if he's wrong, he's right. And then it's your job to tell him if he's wrong because if you don't and he makes a mistake then it's your fault. Or um you must stay home and work from the home, You cannot work outside the home. You must stay home. You must raise your children. You must homeschool your children. If you don't, then you doom America. And it was all of these rules for me as I was growing up and what it was like growing up in my family. And I sent that to my siblings. So I have four sisters and two brothers. And my sisters all read it. They said they cried when they read it. My brothers read it. And they were like, that's not like, that's not the way it was. What are, mm. you, what are, you, what are you talking about? That's not like, what, what, are you, what are you talking about? Like, that's not the way it was. So that right there yeah. was this huge split division picture of the difference between the way that we were raised and just that subtle difference of like, even if we both both genders experienced abuse. If one gender is being raised, like you will be the king of your family. Right. And the other gender is being raised. You will always be subservient to a man. Mm -hmm. You're going to have very different outlooks on life. You're you're going to have very different experiences of life. And I had a very different experience. Than my brother. And I think both of my older brother, who is two years older than me. Mm-hmm. And I do believe my brothers experienced abuse as well. Like it was not, no, no, no gender was safe from abuse. Um, but that just that little piece in in the way that we were raised of what it was going to look like for you when you got married because the ultimate goal was to get married and to right. have a family um and so just that little bit and the way that that showed up was just for me um the biggest i think the biggest point of tension i think uh for me was i wanted to go to college like i wanted mm. to go to school and i wanted to like experience the workforce. I wanted to, to travel. I wanted to live in different cities. I just, you know, I wanted options. And like yeah. my option was marriage. That was that was it. Yeah. That was all I was allowed to do. That was what I was created to do. That's what God designed me to do. And of all there was always this disclaimer of like, well, maybe God. <laughs> You know, sometimes God calls people to be single, but that's not you like that kind of right. that kind of thing. <laughs> right. Um, and I remember having a conversation with my dad because I wanted to go to college when I was like graduating from high school. And I was just like, what if I'm 25 and I'm not married? <laughs> and he's like, why 25 the cut off age? I don't know because it was just like if you don't if you're not married by 25 you're single forever like well yeah when be. you're supposed to get married at 18 25 is <laughs> yeah. like super old exactly exactly yeah. and he responded to me like oh we'll cross that bridge when we come to it and I don't think he expected I don't think he expected me to still be living at home right uh, by that point I think he expected me to find another little robot like him that he could train and he did like he planned he planned to train our husbands because he didn't think that there was ever going to be a man good enough so he just wanted someone he could mold um into his image wait a minute um, wait a minute so he wasn't even looking <laughs> this is really interesting so he wasn't
0: looking for someone exceptional for you he was looking for someone that was moldable
1: oh yeah someone oh, yeah. to
0: control that is yeah, yeah. really really fascinating
1: yeah, so, and the point okay. of contention with a lot of the marriages in my family or in my, with my siblings was that the spouses were not multiple. <laughs> well, yeah, because they you had, had all been raised.
0: That. They had <laughs> all been raised to be the king of the house. Mm-hmm. So
1: why would they Ex- be like yeah. Teach me? <laughs> You're right. I had never put that together. But if you're well, yeah. raising little narcissists, they're not going to want another narcissist teaching them. No, no. You're absolutely <laughs> right. You're I'm absolutely so right. Interesting. <laughs> so interesting. Yes. So basically, just boiled down to my dad had all of the answers for everything. He, divine revelation from the Lord. He was the best. He was the shit. And everyone else needed yeah. to believe that he was the shit. And that was yeah. basically the criteria for approval
0: so for you as a woman in this environment um because it is very there's um hmm, there's different criteria per per religious sect on mm-hmm. what is required for a woman to uh step into that role of wife and mother right so like mm-hmm. mormonism is a little bit unique i think i haven't encountered it's like yet so I don't yeah. want to say that no one else has this, but but it's interesting because although yes, a hundred percent you're here to be a wife and mother, that's your holy purpose, like that is your mm-hmm. design and blah, 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 the whole nine yards. But uh Mormonism also has this really interesting teaching of talents and knowledge and all of the stuff that we gain here, like that we're able to take that with us into heaven. And so we want to gain as much as we can here. Mm-hmm. And so schooling isn't necessarily discouraged, although it's less important. Um mm-hmm. Talents, you should definitely develop those because not because you're going to actually like do anything with them, but because you can, you know, teach teach your kids piano or like do this thing yeah. in a in a motherly role. So for yeah. you, what did that look like? Like what parts of you were you able to safely
1: express and what parts oh, of you were question. unacceptable? Oh, that's a really good question. Uh, yeah. And I think about this all the time because I think it was somewhat confusing on what was acceptable and what wasn't. Mm-hmm. Um, And one of the things was I think I was allowed to go to Guatemala for language school um, and I went multiple times and that actually played a role in me waking up to the situation Mm -hmm. because I was free in these, got these very short pockets of freedom. Um, But I was going to learn Spanish. Um, I had expressed that I was interested in missions. I had uh, sort of painted this picture of like Maybe I'll marry a missionary, and so uh. let's get a head start on this Spanish thing. um I also think that my dad kind of wanted to learn other languages, and so it was kind of like living through me a little bit that I could go and learn this language. I also think it was kind of unique in our community to have like a bilingual child, so <laughs> um like oh, we can like say that our child speaks Spanish, you know the child at that point I was like nineteen um and so i think there was like kind of like a bragging rights you know part of that um i also did theater for a while but there were very like h- very harsh rules around like what i could do and how much time i could do it and how much time and i think that too was like an image thing like hmm. me up on stage like was like a good image for the family um and then i think there were some maybe um parental like oh she likes this so like let's let her do something that she enjoys doing um and everyone in my family is very sporty and very into athletics and I was just the one child that wasn't that sounds Um, very familiar (laughs) (laughs) yes and so I think it was kind of like oh poor Catherine, let's let her do something that she actually Mm. enjoys doing. Yeah. Um, So there was theater. I kind of self-sabotaged the theater because um, a lot of it was family related because it was just like so much effort to get approval to audition, so much effort to get approval to go Mm. to rehearsals, to, you know, we had um, performances were over the weekend, which – was also on Sunday. And so to get yeah. approval to be gone for the whole weekend. Um, and we were very family oriented. And so I just kind of knew it would eventually become this battle. And it was just too much, too exhausting to fight that battle. Um, yeah. So those are the kind of things. Writing was my escape. And I think everyone knew that I was a writer, and people in my family read my books that I wrote but i didn't make a advertise that a lot i didn't talk about that a lot it was something i could like do at home mm-hmm. in my room by myself that no one really knew i could get up in the morning and do it early so nobody knew that i was writing you know like and it was kind of i just kind of instinctively knew like keep this <laughs> keep yeah. this to yourself like don't right. don't let people know that this is happening um kind of thing so um yeah those were the kind of things that uh were allowed Mm -hmm. i guess because they weren't threatening there was some some utilitarian purpose to some extent so Um, what what would have been threatening like if you
0: were like i want to be a lawyer would that have been like
1: oh yeah i mean if i could have if i could have spun it in a way of like, oh, I want to defend homeschoolers.
0: <laughs> oh, then that would be okay. After you were 25. Yeah, and- yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay. So it's, I love that you brought up uh, the Guatemala because I actually pulled, this is one of the things I pulled from mm-hmm. your your Instagram and you have a line in here and I, want, I would love for you to talk about it. Um, so what you said, you said those three weeks in Guatemala City were the first three weeks where I experienced what it felt like to breathe. It was the first revelation that something in my family wasn't right. It was my first real taste of freedom and the beginning of a chase for freedom that lasted nearly a decade. So I totally understand the breathing thing. And I think anyone who has even started on this, this path out of something like this understands because that's what keeps us walking, right? Because it's Mm -hmm. so hard and it's so painful, but that sensation of breathing, we want Mm -hmm. more of it. Mm-hmm. So, But what did you mean when you said that it was the first revelation that something in my family wasn't right?
1: Yeah, because at the time that I went, I was 19 the first time that I went, um, and there weren't iPhones, there wasn't Facebook, um, phone was calling card, mm-hmm. and internet was internet cafe where mm-hmm. I would like pay by the minute, <laughs> right, to like right. write an email, um, and so I was under like orders to call once a week, but that was still a lot of time not talking to my family and yeah. not interacting with them regularly. And the first week, I remember it being really hard because that was all I knew, and I missed my family, and it was a first time on my own, and it was very scary. And um, and I remember that first week being really hard, but then it was like suddenly I was like, oh, I'm like getting up and going to class every day. I like going to class every day. Uh-huh. I have money and I can like buy pirated DVDs and watch them on my laptop and watch all of these movies. That I was never allowed to watch <laughs> for 50 yeah. cents. Um, I could make friends with people. I didn't have non non-christian friends non-believer mm-hmm. friends i didn't have in me, other than like the theater world i had some but they weren't friends um but in this world in guatemala where everyone's there to like do school and there's you know a very small school and you're all in classes together like you become friends with each other and so like I became friends with people who didn't identify as Christian and they were actually nice. <laughs> <You know? laughs> oh my God. Yes. Believe, you're made to believe that they're evil and they're dangerous yes. and they're going to lead you astray. And uh-huh. they were decent uh-huh. human beings. Yes. And-
0: I'm so glad you said that because I think that this is a huge, huge, huge problem. And it's, Part of why I decided to do a podcast actually mm-hmm. is because there is this othering that happens. Yeah, right. We are taught to fear them, and mm-hmm. we, and people are going to say all day, no, I wasn't taught to fear. Yes, you were. Yes, you yeah. were. Hundred percent, you were. <laughs> yeah, I remember I, Yes, mm-hmm. and that's not something anyone likes to admit to, right? Mm-hmm. But like, I remember I was teaching this class as an adult. Uh, they didn't have me teach that class very long after the story, just for the record. Um, <laughs> I got released from that real fast. Um, but I, you know, I was, I was talking about how like Mormonism has this, this, this push of like uh, uh, fellowship people, right. Bringing people in, but also like, these people aren't as good and nice and righteous and, and holy as us. Therefore we should be fearful. And so I was like, Ooh yeah that push- people oh, people yeah yes i'm like uh-huh. people know when you're just trying to convert them like that's not mm-hmm. actually being friends with somebody right that's a you have mm-hmm. you have a, a goal in in mind here
1: there's and an agenda it's not yeah. it,
0: there's an agenda that was the word i could not find um there's an agenda and people are not stupid they know it i'm like if you are actually trying to love your neighbor mm-hmm. you need to be willing to have dinner at their house instead of only having dinner at your house you Mm -hmm. need to be able to have their kids go over there and play not only have their kids come over to your house Mm -hmm. and play because the message that you're sending is you're scary you're bad my family and i are not safe at your house but let me save you right because then you would be safe and i'll tell you this lady in the front row she got so angry and she was like well how are we supposed to keep our children safe and i was like yeah we are we are assuming here that there are no pedophiles within the Mormon Church, A,
1: which is completely
0: incorrect. Right? Like it just it is there's this fear around other people. And the first time you're like, oh my god, you are an amazing person, and I would call you over my church friends anytime I needed help, it's like something breaks in your head a little bit, mm-hmm. right? Oh, I love, mm-hmm. no one, this is actually the first time someone has brought this up on the interviews that I've done mm-hmm. so far, so I'm so, so glad that you did, because it is, the othering is a huge, huge Yeah, problem.
1: I went yeah. to, when I moved to LA, this is fast-forwarding many, many years, probably two decades on this, oh, two decades? Or at least a decade. <laughs> at least <a>
0: decade. <laughs> Time, uh, this <that> time. <laughs> uh,
1: yeah. And I moved to LA and I, there's a whole backstory of how I found this bar, but it's a bar of like, this is like an old Hollywood bar that like, uh, uh, Lucy... Lucille Ball and like Ronald Reagan would go to, and um, the all of the people that go, the patrons are all old. (laughs) They're like like the seventies, eighties old, all all old Hollywood people that remember like the glory days of Hollywood. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And I would go there like Tuesday nights and Friday nights, and just hang out with them, and it'd be all the same people, and we would watch old movies, and we would, you know, drink and stuff, and people would be like oh, that's such a great witness. Oh, it's such a great witness that you're going there. And I'm like, I am not going there to witness. I am oh. going because I need people that are not connected to the church. And they're they thought, your, fa- <laughs> your
0: family thought you were proselyting
1: at the bar? This is, a, this is a, when I lived in LA. The church people were, were, oh, were like, oh, well, that's such wow. an amazing witness. And I'm like – they're my lifesavers. <laughs> oh, like they are keeping is... me sane right now. Yeah. I, mean, I am not witnessing. Not witnessing. Oh my God. That is
0: so, <laughs> so, so interesting. Okay. So I know we are going to just be all over the place today and it's fine. I'm excited. It's okay. About it. It's okay. It is okay. I love it. So I want to know, I want to know, cause I'm curious if this happened um, within your, I wish there was a name for this, this church, um, but if, for how you grew up, I, there is a teaching in Mormonism that basically says you can only be truly and a hundred percent all the way happy in this church. So everyone outside of the church, even though they look happy, like they're not actually happy because it's not God's happiness. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's this false sense of, of happy. It's this like fool's gold happiness. Mm-hmm. Uh, Is Mm -hmm. that something that is taught within how you grew up?
1: Um. Well, yeah. There was definitely this idea of like we're amazing. We have the secrets to life. We have (laughs) my parents' email handle to this day is joyful home. Uh, Awesome! uh, Awesome! Gag me (laughs) with a (laughs) did you not? (laughs) Are you not? Do you not feel that that is an accurate handle? <laughs> <Kendall>? <laughs> uh, yeah, there was very much this like, yeah, this this idea that we had the answers that other people didn't yeah. have. And like we had this like secret to life and secret to living a happy, successful life yeah. um, that other people didn't have. Um, and every now and then encounter a like minded family mm-hmm. um, that. Would have similar values or whatever, but yeah. my dad would always find some issue with that situation. So, um, yeah, there was definitely this like specialness, elitistness, yeah, um, to to light to the life to the lifestyle yeah. for sure. And and then because we were doing something different, like specifically, like the women weren't leaving home; we were staying home until we got married, and we didn't go to college, and we were preparing to be wives and mothers it was very important that people believe we were happy. And Mm. so like that (laughs) was, that was the uh M.L. Like, like we, we had to be happy. Like we had to present this happiness and like, this is working basically. (laughs) So was that Um, like verbalized or is that something as an adult, you look back on and are like, "Uh that wasn't, that was, I would say that was probably more implicit. Gotcha. Um, yeah, I think yeah, that was definitely more of an implicit messaging than you need that, to like be happy so people believe this is working. <laughs> yeah.
0: But I mean, an, an implicit messaging of a requirement of happiness mm-hmm. is very damaging. Very. Yeah. So I mean cuz I assume I will amen that, that Yeah. So what what did that do to your ability to emotionally process
1: as an adult? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, um My first, (laughs) I don't think I ever said this, but someone articulated this years later. And I was like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah." I felt that way. Like, first time I went to therapy, um, which was also when I was in seminary. And this fear of, like, if I let myself go there and, like, acknowledge Mm -hmm. that there's a little sadness here or Mm -hmm. acknowledge that there's a little frustration, I wouldn't use the word anger, but frustration here. If I go there that I will just spaz. Like I will not be able to stop mm-hmm. crying. I will flip my mm-hmm. shit and just start killing people. Like it was just like yeah. so wound up and I was mm-hmm. very compartmentalized. Very very compartmentalized. And one of the things that I I struggle with now is I'm not. <laughs> and oh. so I'll start crying and I'm like shit, I'm <laughs> 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 Stop now, like, because I could like turn it off or like appropriate yeah. emotions for this, and then appropriate emotions for this, and I was yeah very good, very hyper control of the emotions and that um, happiness um, aspect and that you know joy thing that we are supposed to present to the world. I now know it was one hundred percent fake. I mm-hmm. was miserable. Mm -hmm. I was miserable underneath. And now if I find myself in a place where I feel like I have to fake emotion and, and, and sometimes it's not like faking emotion. Like we're all in, you know, we find ourselves in life, you know, like this is not, there's certain parts of me that are not safe in this place. And so I'm just not going to show those parts or there's certain parts of me that just aren't appropriate. For yeah. this place. So I'm just going to like keep those things. If I feel myself having to rein in emotion, um, I'll do it. I'll succeed. But then I'll like leave and I'll just be exhausted because mm-hmm. it's triggering to have to rein in sides mm. of myself. And there are times that that's appropriate. Like <laughs> there are well, times where there are certain presentations that are acceptable and not in certain contexts. Yeah. Um, yeah. But, uh, but if I do have to do that ever, I tried to avoid places where I have to do that. Um, if I do have to do that though, it will be so exhausting because it is so triggering of that hyper yeah. control of emotion
0: that you That was very yeah. required. Yeah. Well, I very think that there's, required. I think there's a difference and I want to point this out just for people. Cause I think this is such a tricky, tricky, line to walk of like what is fake and what is not and what is holding back my emotions and what is appropriate for situation. Mm-hmm. And I remember I was talking to my husband uh, cause he very much struggles with, it's, it's a completely different arena, but he struggled mm-hmm. a lot with the idea of like, I'm not going to be fake. I'm not going to put on a song and dance and a pony show. And like, this is who I am. Take it or leave it, which is, there's nothing wrong with that, except it was hurting him at work. <laughs> so, yeah. you know, I, he, he finally yes. was in a place where we had a beautiful conversation and I was like, babe, they don't want you to be fake. Right. What they want is they want you to pull out this part of your personality that the rest of the people you work with see, right? This fun, great, amazing guy that they're all super loyal to, love. You need to be able to pull that out and Mm -hmm. show it when the time is right. And Mm -hmm. I have to do the same thing, right? Like this, Mm -hmm. this, This me on here is definitely a piece of me. It is not the whole full rounded of me. And that's perfectly acceptable. But I think that there's a huge difference between that Mm
1: -hmm. and
0: a situation where it should be acceptable, right? Mm -hmm. To have an emotional response or be real or say like, hey, I'm Mm -hmm. uncomfortable with this or I don't agree with this. And you having to lock down parts of yourself permanently Because they are not okay. Like, I think it is, it's, it's very different and it's important that we unravel that, right? Like if you're being Mm -hmm. asked to turn off a piece of who you are, Mm -hmm. that is a problem.
1: Yeah. And it is important because I feel like for trauma, for trauma survivors, um, Mm -hmm. when you start and like, I, like that fear that I had in my first, first therapy session and for the subsequent. Following therapy sessions for probably a year, of like yeah. if I go there, I'm going to ju- I just uh-huh. won't be able uh-huh. to hold it back. Um, yeah, that that's very common for trauma survivors. Yeah, and and once they experience the freedom of being themselves and being able to show up fully, that then they can't rein it in, and then mm-hmm. they overshare. And they overexpress and mm-hmm. they say things that they probably shouldn't to people that are not safe. You know, like just like once you experience that, you just, oof. And so there is yeah. that release. And then there's a growth that is required of like, what is appropriate here? What is appropriate here? Yeah. What is appropriate here? And I don't even know if I should use that word appropriate because that kind of could be a trigger I, a little bit. You know, um, I I want to- po- You know, I think
0: what's going to, I think what's going to make this work works for you. So what, what works for me is what you said earlier, which was, because at first you were like oversharing and I was like, yeah, but that is such a tricky thing to walk because you should be able to talk, (laughs) but you added a really important thing. And you said when it's not safe and that Mm -hmm. is, that's the key, right? Is understanding this is Mm -hmm. not a, this is a situation that I'm going to not share that not because it's bad. Not because Mm -hmm. it's quote unquote inappropriate, but because it is Mm -hmm. not a safe and secure environment for me. And so I am Mm -hmm. going to choose to honor myself by keeping Mm -hmm. myself safe, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that is a
1: a, a really beautiful thing to to point out. And there's safety. And then there's also just not everyone deserves all of your story. Mm. Not everyone deserves all of your story right now. Like right. you can wait and test the waters with people. Right.
0: You well, can and-
1: let them grow into that safety mm, yeah. zone with you.
0: Yeah. I like the word deserve because it it gives you your power back. And that is mm-hmm. a really important thing, right? It's not a shrinking, it's a standing in your own power on your own two feet and saying you are not worthy of of this right now, and that's not a slam that's just what it is mm-hmm. um okay, so yes, yeah, so that splitting off of ourselves uh that happens when we are raised in a religious environment that says, mm-hmm. "Hey, you are not okay, but also this all of that false, this false joy, this false happiness, um which I do relate to, and here's the thing I like that you said I didn't realize how miserable I was until later because that is mm-hmm. the crux of it. Because if we did realize, we wouldn't stay. And we so stay. when we, yeah. yeah, when we say to people, "No, when I'm I am to happy," realize that
1: I was like, "I'm gonna leave." Yeah, I'm gonna work so, my way.
0: Hundred percent. But <laughs> yeah. when you and I both said to people, because I, hundred I, percent I did. No, no, I'm happy. Like I love. Like this brings me joy. We really thought we meant it. Oh yeah. Oh because yeah. Because we, we couldn't. We
1: were. Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah, we absolutely. can't look at it. That was coming from a genuine place. I don't think right. we were. I don't think I consciously thought, "Oh, I'm faking happiness." Well, no, I don't it's, think. It, I think because you're taught because you're taught that you choose happiness, right? And so when right. I was faking it, it was framed in my mind as I'm choosing it, choosing to be happy, right. choosing to be joyful,
0: and so. It, the different yeah. and that there's a, the difference between optimism which is what you're really saying right like you're choosing it like we're just going to look at the bright side of things like this is mm-hmm. beautiful and and all of these things and there's nothing wrong with being optimistic mm-hmm. but what you're describing is actually a a requirement of a cognitive dissonance because you can't emotionally process what's happening to then get to the optimism right we have to mm-hmm. just like push it away and pretend that it is Mm -hmm. not happening. That is a very unhealthy human way Mm -hmm. to be. Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah. And I think there's also just some, uh, there can be some confusing things. And I think this is this is a very normal experience for um, people who grow up in abusive environments of you have these memories of, of fun of like, yeah. Like genuine fun, yeah, absolutely um, genuine, genuine laughter, genuine. Uh-huh. You know, you have because you're family, you know, and you have these family moments. It wasn't just like, you know, doom and gloom and darkness and, and storms and all this kind of stuff. Um, and so those those memories can be very confusing because it's like, what was it? Was it horrible or was it fun? Was it horrible? Or was it fun? And it was it was both. Like it, it was both. both. Um, and I had a revelation at my sister's wedding last summer, um, which I did attend um very tentatively and at her wedding like it was that fun again it was the first time all the siblings were together and then all the siblings were all in the wedding and mm. so it was all the siblings and the the uh married uh spouses were not in the wedding so it was just the siblings in the wedding and we had this like resurgence of this fun like this just mm. like laughing and goofing off and cracking jokes And I had this revelation in the midst of it of just like, and I want it. Like I felt that pull to like join and be a part of this again. And like, oh, I miss this so much. And I had this revelation of this reality that there was all this shit and drama happening at the wedding in real time. And our fun and our jokes was a diversion. It was a way Mm. for us to cope in the moment and oh, this reality that we were known as this like really fun party family because we partied hard because we had to because that was how we survived and using oh, like fun wow. and laughter as a way to to pretend these awkward uncomfortable really shitty things were not happening which was really sad to me i had to grieve that this reality yes. of like even that wasn't real <laughs> um, oh that um, and i think when i was we're getting off with the subject of women but it does it no, all is connected we, but we are, uh, we are <laughs>
0: not at all because this is this is not going to be just your it's it's part, of it. experience. it's part of it it's part of it all yeah mm-hmm.
1: so about maybe 3 years ago um, it was after i left the spiritually abusive church which i think we'll get to that at some point um, in los angeles and I had I – I started having this, like, emotion that was like, hmm, what is this emotion? Hmm, I'm not sure what this is. This mm-hmm. is unfamiliar to me. What What is this thing? This thing, this warm fuzzy thing in my chest that I'm feeling sometimes. <laughs> and I realized – I was like, oh, I think it's happiness. Oh, I my think, God. I think I'm actually genuinely happy. And it was this realization – that I honestly, up until like a few years ago, like I don't think I actually ever genuinely felt happiness for a consistent amount of time. Like wow. just like and I think you have to feel safe to feel mm. genuine happiness. And for the mm. first time in my life, I was not in an abusive toxic environment chronically. There were you'll always interact with them, <gasps> but I was not immersed in this plate. I was like, I'm happy. Like Really happy. And it's not just like a blip of it. It's like consistent. Like, I'll be happy for like days. Yes. (laughs) And I'd never had that. I'd never never had had that. So, so much so that it was foreign to me and no, I didn't yeah. know what it was.
0: Yes. I like, no, I love this. this story is so powerful. I'm getting like little tingles. Cause it like, I love that you were like, what is, what's this thing in my chest? What is happening? That's funny. My little, little
1: person in my brain is.
0: <laughs> but it, you know what? It's so true. And I. <sighs> This is something that's very difficult to describe and I've had a couple of people mention it. We've kind of toed at it, but you just described it so well. And that is the church the churches do such an amazing job of uh shoring themselves up against what's going to come at them from people who have left, you know, people who aren't there. And this, this idea of that we've been talking about of this is the only place to be happy. Right. And that mm-hmm. the people out there aren't actually happy. Like it's like this false happy. Um, happy. Mm-hmm. And then also, I don't know if this is with you, but in Mormonism, this is heavily taught. And, and that is this idea that people who leave just wanted to go like sin. Like you just couldn't handle the rules anymore. Um, and so this is, mm-hmm. this is the devil's happiness. This is Satan's happiness, whatever. <laughs> um bring it on if but, that's what it is. <laughs> but yeah, and so I've been trying to figure out a way of like how how do we actually uh, talk about the reality of what this happiness is because you you can't understand it when you're in. You can't mm-hmm. fathom it. Um and I love that yes this 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 lightness in your chest that just goes on for days and days and days. Um I remember telling my husband, I don't know, fairly recently, um, cause I've, been, listen, I've been working through trauma. I've been going through shit for like, you know, we're going on three years and it's hard work. It's exhausting work. And sometimes you don't look very happy. And mm-hmm. so he, mm-hmm. you know, he's kind of talking to me about it. And I was like, I'm really sorry that you can't feel the way that I'm feeling inside right now, because I, when I laugh, like I'm realizing now as we're talking that to your ears, my laugh sounds the same as it did before. But when I would laugh before, it was this very surface, like above the Mm -hmm. neck experience. And Mm -hmm. now when I laugh, I am feeling this joy that is rippling through my entire body all the way down to Mm -hmm. my toes. And it has never happened before. Reach. Never happened before. And And I love what you said about you have to be safe because that is true. Mm -hmm. Because how are we safe? We are safe when we are accepted as Mm -hmm. exactly who we are. And when we honor exactly who we are, right, mm-hmm. and protect, and no one who is going to new-
1: use who we are, yes. for their own purposes. Oh, I love that. Yes, some people like me the way I am, but then they want to use me. <laughs>
0: so yes, that's not safe either. Right. Oh, I love I love this. This I'm so glad we went here because it it is so different from what we've been told, or at least what yes. I was told, right? And when you start experiencing it, I had someone say to me, and I think we did get it on the final recording. I'll have to go back and check. Um, but we were talking about, yeah, the happiness and how different it was. And she said to me, she was like, if this means that I'm going to hell if how i feel right now versus how i felt means that i'm going to hell so be it i will take it take
1: me there and take me, ex- me there. and i
0: yes the same i was <laughs> like i'm with you. it's so true like i will never give this up like this is mm-hmm. this is a truth that i cannot deny this happiness mm-hmm. that i am now capable of experiencing
1: yeah and if hell is real i think i've already been there honestly Right. Mm-hmm. yeah if mm-hmm. i can like assess the level of misery and like I was thinking today because I had a class this morning and it wasn't about suicidality but it was that we touched on suicidality and I I remember like being in therapy and my therapist asking me like okay I need to ask you this for your safety have you made a plan Mm-hmm. to, to take your, to take your mm-hmm. life. Yeah. Um, and I, like when she asked me that, because I, you know, had training and stuff like that, like I knew what she was asking me. Cause she was like very concerned for where I was. Mm-hmm. And I was like, whoa, yeah, it's dark right now. Like it's, it's mm-hmm. really, really dark right now. Um, I hadn't made a plan, but I just remember that, that yeah. feeling, and I ha- and I had made a plan when I was a teenager, um, and so that was not foreign to me. Of like, yeah. I don't want to exist anymore. Yeah. I think that's hell. Yeah, it hell exists. I think that's yeah. the very definition of it. Of like, I just mm-hmm. don't want to live. Yeah, like, that's when it's bad. It's really bad. Mm-hmm.
0: I yeah, I agree, and I. Absolutely, had a plan at one point in my life as well, and I, I think that, and and this is going into this, uh, spiritual realm that I've stepped into. Mm-hmm. And not everyone is here, and not everyone is, you know, on board with the the verbiage that I'm going to throw here in a minute. But like, I have come to the belief that when we don't honor who we are, which is our soul, right? When we don't honor the reality of ourselves we in an attempt to like get us to understand how wrong these thoughts and feelings and the way that we're living Mm -hmm. is we do just become more and more and more miserable as like Mm -hmm. as like a please turn around right like here's warning bells like we are in trouble we are in real trouble here and Mm. we can't recognize the warning bells because we're being told Well, no, you're Mm -hmm. in the true, amazing, wonderful gospel, you know, and you're supposed to be happy and things are
1: beautiful. And, Mm
0: -hmm. and your soul is like, we're not, (laughs) we're not beautiful. Mm
1: -hmm. Um,
0: yeah, I, or a counter message
1: of, I don't know if this is how it was in Mormonism, but in evangelicalism and also in the world I grew up in that like, you're suffering for the Lord. Like the Mm. Lord will honor you for your suffering, like you're supposed to suffer. Like suffering is godly Um, and it's the Lord teaching you something and it's God, you know, refining your character and and a a very implicit message of you must be doing something wrong if you're not Mm -hmm. happy
0: yeah there it's so weird and i think i guess you got this too such contradicting messages of like mm-hmm. oh you're happy because of god and you're happy because you're doing things right oh you're doing things wrong well that you're still like it's like the messages you're are so still, co- <laughs> like <laughs> you're, it's, it's still it's not there's it's always something working. you know <laughs> <laughs> like like for the big thing in Mormonism was blessings a lot. Like, oh, hmm. you're getting blessings because you're righteous and you're paying your tithing and you're doing all of these things. But then when you don't get blessings, there's already a sudden sixteen reasons of why, well, God's trying you and the refiners yep. fire and all you're like, Yeah what? Those are what? <laughs> yep. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Yep.
1: yeah. 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 Totally. Yeah. And I think that that's that's a sign of freedom, health when you can like kind of navigate the 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 real shittiness of life that still exists no matter what mm-hmm. um and not uh try and find a reason for it it's like yeah
0: like yes what? what did i do wrong yes you to please. not have this to, to ask like, that oh my god yeah.
1: Yeah. yes yeah like this this sucks let's cope let's do our things to like deal with it and yes life just sucks sometimes it does. God is it not does. behind this. <laughs> Sin yeah. is not behind this. Um like yeah, it's just life. It's just life. I'm I'm
0: with you. I am mm-hmm. and I've always been on a little on that camp because I've always hated and there are, I'm going to get hate for this because a lot of people love this <laughs> both in the spiritual community and the religious community like this is people find comfort in this scene and I never did it always bothered me. That is the the everything happens for a reason. Oh. Um I hated it because what it made me feel like was this vengeful God throwing like fireballs Mm -hmm. at me. And it Mm -hmm. didn't make sense in my brain of what a God that I'd been taught, like why he would also behave in that manner. Like that never
1: totally
0: made sense to me.
1: But I also understood
0: that I grow during times of, Trouble, like that's exactly that's That's reality. reality. So yeah, it got very sticky. Mm -hmm. It got very, very sticky, and that's why you stay because part of it makes sense. Part of it always makes sense. Yeah,
1: yeah, exactly. And they're not throwing outright lies at you. They're, they're yeah, and and they're in a way painting this picture of if you do these things, your life will work out. Now, Mm -hmm. for me, it was prescribed. Like life working out was getting married to a strong Mm -hmm. Christian guy who was a strong leader, whatever the fuck that means
0: mm-hmm. and then
1: having lots of babies and homeschooling mm-hmm. and living in a house and having a savings account and like mm-hmm. that that was what life working out looked like and so we're yeah. doing all of these things to, which is just another version of the American dream PS Um uh-huh. so as oh, you're yeah. doing all of these things just to get to this you know life working out there was no <laughs> there's no like consideration of do you want that life is that, yes. the life that you want to live because it's what God wanted, you're supposed to right. do it. Because it's what God wanted. This is right. This is and prescribed for you.
0: So, did you do this thing where this is prescribed? This is what you should want because this is yours. Um, for me, what that what that created within me was, I don't want those things. Therefore, I am bad.
1: There's something Same. wrong with me. There's something as a wrong woman, with woman. Yes. There's something wrong 100%. with me as a human being. Absolutely. Absolutely. Very. Yeah. A lot of shame for, a lot of shame for not fitting into that mold. For yeah, sure, absolutely. Now wow. I'm so grateful, so grateful, so grateful for the little rebel inside of Catherine that just wouldn't shut up. <laughs> she just wouldn't. So yeah, mine was very frustrating been at the time, but yeah. But how yeah, long, how long
0: So this is actually something again, another reason why I'm doing the podcast, why I'm I'm doing what I'm doing. What would you say, and this is a hard question, and if you don't want to answer it, it's cool, We'll pretend I did not ask it. I love uh, hard questions. Oh, good. I do, too. And sometimes <laughs> I throw them at people and they panic, and I'm like, oh, <laughs> you don't like those as much as I do. Um,
1: so <laughs> I know. Word, I'm going to ask you the question, and then I'm going to tell you the first word that pops <laughs> into my head, okay? Okay. After I, after I answer the question. Whatever. Okay.
0: So. I know. I can, I can kind of articulate, it was painful to look at, but I can look back and, and evaluate what the idea that I was bad, that I was the problem, that um, everyone else was right and I was clearly broken and flawed and evil, what that actually cost me as far as mm-hmm. my um, development into the reality of who I am and the gifts and yeah. the mind and all of these things that I came into this world with. So I'm going to ask you that as a woman, mm-hmm. uh, being raised that your only job was mm-hmm. get married, have babies and you having desires that did not match that and feeling mm-hmm. bad about that. What did, what did that really cost you during? Cause how many years of your life uh, does
1: yeah. this, this take for yeah. you? Yeah, so I left my parents' home when I was 26 after having done college in secret. And oh my god, we didn't even talk about that. Okay, go ahead. College in secret. Okay, <laughs> sorry. Go ahead. Left at 26. Mental note, mental note. Um I I I spent a lot of years trying to catch up. Just trying to catch up to this figment of where I was supposed to be in my life. Um, I was grateful that on like the year of my graduating college date, um, was, was later because I graduated when I was 25, I think, um, Mm -hmm. was later so that on my resume, people thought I was younger than I was. So like, it didn't, it didn't appear to other people that I was behind Mm -hmm. and it's like, oh, I'm like where I'm supposed to be if I was actually 22, (laughs) but I'm not, I'm 27. Mm -hmm. Um, and Mm so I feel like I spent a lot of time trying to catch up and trying to um get to this place of where I felt like I was um in a good like career space and a good education space and just just I just think of a lot of there's a lot of work there's just a lot of work a lot of yeah. you know late nights of studying and working multiple jobs and just trying to catch up. Hmm. Um and I think um when I think of just that phrase of like what did it cost you? Um I would say I'm feeling more of that loss now Mm. that I'm speaking up. Mm -hmm. And I'm Mm -hmm. naming what happened. Yeah. And I'm becoming more grateful. That there was this little part of me that was just like, uh-uh, uh-uh, uh uh-uh. I don't want to do that, I don't want to do that, I don't want to do that, because I think it saved me so much pain. I mean, mm-hmm. I could be in, like, one of those bad shit, complimentary marriages, I would already be divorced right now, probably, yeah. potentially be a single mom, like, I'm just, like, all of these things that I could have, you know, these things that could have happened, and I just yeah. feel like I dodged a fucking bullet. Like in a lot of ways, because there are a lot of things that could have gone down um, and could have really gone wrong, Um, and and for the most part, um, the first word that came into my term that came to my mind was by the grace of God. But I don't really that that word doesn't resonate anymore. But for whatever reason, luck. (laughs) um, I. I made selfish choices, selfish choices and, and did what I wanted to do. Yeah. Um, and just, and, and even though I didn't have logical cognitive reasoning for it, it was just like, I want to do that. Like, this is what I want to do. This is what yeah. I want to do and I'm going to do this. Um, and just kind of taking it back, taking back a lot of the things that were, denied to me like education and a voice and um wearing the clothes that I want to wear having the friends that I want to have um going to the church that I want to go to or not going to church um yeah yeah, just kind of just taking a lot of things back um I don't know if that is No, yeah, that's going with that. Yeah, no,
0: it is. (laughs) It absolutely, I think every, you know, the answers are so personal, but I do think it's very important that you mentioned uh, the fact that you avoided marriage and and kids when you did, because you're right, that would affect greatly um, your Mm -hmm. ability to, in your words, catch up, you know, Mm -hmm. and not that there's a right or wrong way to be, right, or a thing to Mm -hmm. catch up to, but when you start having children. Yeah. That does change like a lot of things for people mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. you know that that ability to course correct it's not impossible by any means right. but it is Yeah, but it's a lot. Much a lot more, more
1: difficult. Much a lot more, more, diff- more challenging yes. with a family for and
0: sure. I think I I wanted to to like point that out because there's this culture and this isn't even just religion this is just culture that as women we are not allowed to say once we've had kids that we are not allowed to say like you know i maybe should have waited before i started having babies or mm-hmm. i really never felt like i had the choice mm-hmm. to have babies because people are like how dare you say that about your children i am not saying not anything about, about my children is.
1: and i am not <laughs> saying that i don't my love, love them, to them. yes Yes, yeah. and I think it's really you important you can say that we- I made a mistake. You can say I made a mistake without saying the child is a mistake. Right. Like, and I think is, that that is a con- mm-hmm. Those are two things, two different things. Two different Absolutely. things, and it's a conversation
0: that really needs to start yeah. happening uh because it'll set down the shame of the thought once we mm-hmm. it's okay, it's okay to say that. So no, thank you for for pointing that out and um for sharing, yeah, and I and I do or...
1: think that that mindset impacted my choices because I didn't think I could do both, mm. and it was kind of like this belief. And I and I do I did think this on multiple occasions. If I have to choose between a career and a family, I want a fucking career. Never said that out loud to anybody, but I'm like, because I would have been selfish and sinful and blah 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 all these things. Right, um, but. And this was after I left my family. Um, I, yeah, but I, I was just like, yeah. I mean, I'm, yeah. There's probably something wrong with me as a female. But <laughs> if I have to sure. choose between the two, then I'm going to choose a career.
0: Um, yeah.
1: And I did, like, I that those that was the choice that I made. And I, I started dating really a lot more seriously in um, in uh, L.A. because I was able to like get to this place of like I can have the life that I want to have. And if I want a partner, then I can have a partner too. Like mm-hmm. I don't have to choose between having a partner and having a career. Right. And my partner right. can support my career. Like right. we'll be fine. Um, yeah. And so I just – I got to that place where I could I could hold those two things together because I just couldn't – I wasn't able to hold those things together. And a lot of that was just like marriage felt like a trap and, and marriage felt like uh, – and it still kind of does feel like a trap. That's something I'm like working through with my therapist of just like – there are other options. Marriage is not the only option. Like, you can cohabitate with people. You can have a long, yeah. di- long dating relationship and not live together. Like, you like you don't like marriage is not this thing that you have to do. Right. Um, which if any of my Christian people listen to this, they're gonna be like. <laughs> the first exploding. time in my life i have a i have a, a therapist who's not a christian and i love it so like um, she has no agenda for me not that my christian therapist yeah. ever had an agenda for me but uh. like you know like there's like she doesn't have this like moral like no i'm not gonna say she doesn't uh, have a moral compass she has a moral compass but like like when she said like there are other options like marriage is not the only option like my christian therapist would never have said that like they would never have said that I could have said that and they wouldn't have judged me for it maybe um but I but I but to have a therapist be like there are other options like yeah marriage is not the only other option and so like those those kind of things that are like long-term impacts of my trauma that may never go away like like I may never be able to make that like long-term commitment to someone or if I do I might have to have some legal things in place, you know, just for mm-hmm. my own security and just like, oh, like I can, I can get out of this if this right, right doesn't go the way that I want it to. Yeah. Um, uh, and so, yeah, those are just some things that, um, I've, uh, I guess lost of well, well, it, it cost. It is, you know, it's, Yes.
0: Thank you. No, no absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> yes, it is a cost. It is a cost, and I, I think that it's important to acknowledge how difficult some of these things are to shake, because we have mm-hmm. this idea like, oh, we're gonna walk away. It's gonna be fine. Like, mm-hmm. I'm, I, I, I can make a choice whether I want to get married or not. And then all of a sudden, mm-hmm. if all the trauma hits, and you're like, oh, oh, oh. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I have all of these issues, and it is a lot of work and exhausting. Mm-hmm. It can mm-hmm. be done, uh, but mm-hmm. it is—it is a lot of work to turn around and look at every single one of them and be like, "Oh, mm-hmm. why do I? Why am I afraid of marriage? Why mm-hmm. do I feel trapped in marriage?" Oh well, gosh, mm-hmm. maybe because that's exactly what, what I grew up with, right? And mm-hmm. is this accurate? Do I believe this? Is there like it? Mm-hmm. It is—it is a a lot of work that is being spent mm-hmm. on healing instead mm-hmm. of um what. The, what comes after the healing, right? Like the stuff right. that, the step that mm-hmm. comes after that. So I would definitely say that was a loss. Um, yeah. I, okay, I want to get back to the, I have one more question just to see if if this is something um, along the loss lines. And you, I don't think that you, your stubbornness did did save you on a lot of this, I think, on some of these things. But like, mm-hmm. I remember... After I left, um, was that rude? That, that I just said that you're stubborn. Saved that, that you of called of me
1: stubborn? No, that I
0: like implied that you were like saved trauma. Like, I don't know. Mate, you probably. Have, saved I mean, by like,
1: trauma? No, that you were, that you didn't maybe like get hit by some of these things because of your stubbornness as if no. I know what you got hit well, by. Oh no. Um, and I just, it, it's it's true. And I just, I just, I just, I just never, I never fit that like womanly mold. Like I just, I just yeah. didn't you know, it just, yeah. it just, I don't know why I just didn't. And eh, I, didn't I... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I, and it was miserable to not fit in, in the community that you lived in and to know, like, I'm not quite the perfect daughter that my parents wishes wish that I would be yeah. and um that I'm not going to be the perfect little wifey um yeah. and that I don't actually want to be the perfect little wifey and that I yeah that I'm just I'm just not fitting what I'm supposed to be yeah. and never feeling like I just fit like what a woman's supposed to be yeah. um and and yet I am not – I have no regrets in terms of like like what sort of person would I have married if I had gotten married when I yeah. was in that world, Um, if I had just kind of succumbed to it, which it, it's really hard not to. It's really hard yeah, not to.
0: it is. I don't blame
1: anybody who has like, you know, had to for survival. And I got these little uh, chances to escape like going to Guatemala and stuff. And so I got just – enough of a taste of freedom to give me that desire to want more um and uh people a lot of people don't get that like they don't have any options you know there's there's no choice they are literally trapped um and so i yeah i wouldn't change it like i wouldn't change that part of me now (laughs) yeah I love like, that. Good Thank job, you. Catherine. Good job, young Catherine. You're a little okay. badass.
0: Yes, little you shit to people, are. And I love it. <laughs> that is so funny. Uh, okay, so we need to get to the LA thing because we've referenced it multiple times and we have not talked about it. So, you the are raised. Thing. You are raised in a cult. Um, mm-hmm. At what point do you leave to go to LA and? Why, how did we end up changing religions? Like, Mm -hmm. there's a lot of Mm -hmm. questions here. So I'm just going to, again, throw the mic at Mm -hmm. you and let you go.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, I'll try to do a brief summary to get us to Los Angeles. So (laughs) I found some semblance of safety slash surrogate family in a church in Los Angeles um, and started going by myself um, at 24 years old. And I would, like, my dad would hold church service on Sunday mornings, and I would, like, go to Sunday school before and then go to church. And at this point, there was a crack in the foundation, and so my parents would kick me out of the house, and then I came back, and this was before I went to college, all this kind of stuff. And it was kind of this, like, my parents were, like, afraid if they pushed me too hard, I was going to snap. Right. Um, and so there was like I was in that kind of zone. Um, and so when I started going to church they didn't protest. Um and at that church I had a friend say, I think you would really like seminary. Um and and so I did find this like this, oh, this is what community could be like, this is what family could be like. Kind of got like a little taste of that. Um so, and this so was up- an evangelical, right? Mm-hmm. Is what you what you moved
0: to. And yeah, when you say you got Alabama. a little taste Oh, in Alabama. Okay. So when Mm -hmm. you say you got a little taste, you mean it felt like safer, more like palatable or like, is that what you meant by that? Yeah. Yeah.
1: Okay. Yeah, it did. It did. Yeah. And it it, it definitely did. Um, Yeah, I definitely felt safer than what I was experiencing at home um, for sure. Uh, So I ended up, you know, going to that church. I ended up working for a church that that church planted. I ended up going on the mission field to Mexico. From Mexico, I went to seminary here in st louis then i went to church in dc and then from a church in dc went to la so i got so to LA. you
0: went from one very high demand religion and then you jumped into another frying pan and you jumped like all the way in mm-hmm. there was mm-hmm. no like yeah i wanted to be a pastor yeah yeah
1: I wanted to be a pastor, but because I couldn't, I couldn't, I wouldn't articulate that because the denomination that I was in wouldn't let women be pastors, which that's part of my story. Um, but I did go to a very conservative branch of the evangelical church and definitely part of my trauma that I did go to this more conservative branch because, and there, there are some things I was thinking about this today. Um, like, my family was so chaotic and so confusing. I went to a denomination that was very cerebral and very systematic and very structured. And mm-hmm. I think that a part of me went there because I was very cerebral in, in dealing with my trauma. Like, I I dealt with it a lot of it up here. And so I was okay. attracted to this more structured... um, a way of doing things and more systematic way of doing things, and I think back on that, and I'm like, I don't think that was like an unhealthy choice, mm-hmm. and I do think there was some relief in that structure. I think there was some comfort in that structure, I think there was some help help in that structure. It took me about a decade to realize that there was a lot fucked up about that. But mm-hmm. but I think for a time and for a season, I don't think it was a bad choice to just get that, like, mm-hmm. I need some structure. I need some control. I need some – because of how chaotic things were in the, in the Jesus department, in the faith department, in mm-hmm. the Bible department. Like, that was literally being used to abuse me. Mm-hmm. Um, and so – to go to this place of like, this is what God says. And this is, you know, this is how, you know, this is how it's supposed to play out and all of these very like academic ways of looking at the Bible. I think that was like a break to some extent. Um, I think so. Yeah. Yeah. well and I
0: So I'm going to assume that you like you were in no way ready to take a step all the way away like that. No. So, so yeah. And I just said at go- the beginning
1: or maybe I said it before we were interviewing, but I interviewed at a, at a seminary and the the uh past the pastor said some or not the pastor the uh person that was interviewing as professor said something about um like uh not caring about women or like people that don't ordain women are not caring about women and i was like oh my church doesn't ordain women and but it, but it cares about women it, Able to like blah, blah 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 blah, and he was just like, What? Um, and now I'm like, Okay, yeah, like that's a serious sign of like sidelining and suppressing women if you're not ordaining women. Um, but at that point, like I could not have handled someone telling me, Oh, they actually yeah. don't care about you as a woman, like, I, yeah. I couldn't have. have of it was it would have been too much to go straight into <laughs> egalitarian or equality or anything like yeah. that. It just would have been too much. Yeah. Um yeah. So, so it was that, definitely that step was a step Very necessary. Start. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and I can definitely say there are major issues with that denomination. Um, and and at the same time say I think I needed to be in it for a little while. Um, And so ended up in seminary, uh, went to D.C., went to L.A. um, And I think L.A. was like a more progressive version. The church that I was working for there was a more progressive version of the churches that I'd been in and and tried to push some of the rules in the female department um and I was excited about that like I went like excited oh I'm going to actually have opportunities to like do what I want to do um and then it was just as bad so was just like, <laughs> like, like patriarchy misogyny is fucking everywhere um uh-huh. yes, yes it is yeah and that was where I realized Um, not just because I, I had this like approach. So there, uh, just for people who are listening, um, there's like two kind of different views in the evangelical world. There's complementarian and then there's egalitarian and complementarian means, you know, yes, men and women are equal, but they have different roles. And then there's egalitarian, which is like men and women can do the same. And then there's all kinds of little like subsets of that and what that means or whatever. But those are two, the the two basic ones. Mm -hmm. And I would say that I was probably always a little more egalitarian. Um, but I, I believed that complementarian was something that people could just kind of decide, like, you know, if you want to be a complementarian, you're allowed to be a complementarian. It's not a deal breaker. It's not an essential belief. It's not that important what you believe, blah, 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 blah. Um, and I always believed that. And obviously I worked in a complementarian church. (laughs) So, um, I was able to kind of, uh, say like, this is, this is something that you can just take or leave. It's like kind of up to you what you want to do. Um, I'm at a place now where I think it's dangerous. Like, yeah, I don't think egalitarianism solves the problems. And I think that and I'm one of the reasons why I left church work is because I like, did interviews at egalitarian churches and saw the same things, like the same patriarchal, misogynistic bullshit was happening at the egalitarian churches, too. And they were just able to hide it a little better because, oh, we are dating women. We love women, uh, we're dating women. Um, And so it was still there. But um, I now believe like that complementarian viewpoint of like equal but different roles yeah. that I think that's, it's very, very dangerous. Like talk about silencing women in the name of God. Um, yeah, silencing women in the name of God. It's just, it, it. it is. Like it is literally silencing women in the name of God. And they have all these... I I want to I want to I went to a complementary seminary. I know all of the arguments, <laughs> all of the, yes. all of the things that they do to like justify it and be okay with it. Um, and I, for, it's funny for me
0: that almost, it makes it harder for me to have these conversations because I know the arguments. So it's like, I can yes. say, but I know what's mm-hmm. going to come back, but like, yeah. just say it. Like <laughs> no one's here actually re- like they can, re- yes. you know, do their rebuttal to the, to the radio, but
1: yeah, like, and Look, this so is like, where the, the, uh, the, my place, arriving at the place of like, it's actually dangerous is I am, with the work that I do with Survivors of Spiritual Abuse, I am privy to cases in complementarian churches. And, and the, the way that women do not have a voice. When cases of sexual abuse arise, mm-hmm. when cases of domestic violence arise, like you can put any of your female advisors in the same room with as many of them as you want, but if they don't have a vote, then they do not have a voice and they just have to trust that these men are going to take their advice into consideration, which they don't. Yeah. In most cases, they don't. And I, I mean, I wish it weren't true, but like I too many cases where the fact that the men have the power is dangerous. And right. I believe it's dangerous because this is my theory. This gets a little conspiratorial, but Matt, the church, the complementarian church is the last male dominated frontier. In that it uses God and the Bible to protect male power. That's Mm. not acceptable in any other realm ever. Yes, misogyny exists in every profession, every career. Yes, but none of these careers are trying to get the Bible to justify it. Complementarian churches are using the Bible and God to justify male power. So weak men. Weak narcissistic men are going to these places on purpose so that Mm. their power is protected. They're they're drawing them to themselves by this theology. They will Mm. never believe me, they will never agree with me, (laughs) they will never (laughs) say that's true. But if a narcissist, male narcissist, has a core of hatred of women, and then has one gender that he doesn't have to contend with and can use the Bible to keep that gender out of their contention, mm-hmm. then they're going to go there. Like they're mm-hmm. going to go for those jobs. They're yeah. going without it. They're not, they're never going to say it. They're never going to admit it. Oh, I chose this profession because I didn't have to deal with women. Like, yeah, no, yeah. <laughs> but yeah. that's, they do that. That's, they're drawn to these positions mm-hmm. because they don't have to deal with women. And then they can use God to make it right. legal. Yeah. Yeah. That is my theory.
0: Well, and that's, you know, that is exactly the reason I chose the name for this podcast that I did was because it's not about, you know, an individual like person who wants to be an asshole. What it is, is it's an entire movement that is using not – I I I don't want this this will never be for me a definition about whether God exists or not. Like I that's not yeah. on the table. The, the, what's on the table is that they are using his name to yeah, mm-hmm. put a hard stop because mm-hmm. you can't argue with God. There's no argument right. here once we throw the God card on the table. And yep. that's the problem, right? Yep. Because it's absolute power. It's no questioning, end of story, period. Mm-hmm. Like we're done. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. And
0: and yeah, that's extraordinarily abusive. And I I mean listen, is there a way to prove with numbers what you're saying? No. But is that human nature?
1: Yes, yes it is. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes it is. it is. You
0: know? Yes we it all- is. And I
1: bet we could do some kind of study. I want someone to do it. Maybe I'll do it. I don't know. You um do it. some kind of study where I mean you can't how do you assess a narcissist? You know, like how do you just, like like are there more narcissists in these complementarian churches than there are in non complementarian churches? Mm, that
0: would be. Are they drawn
1: there? Are there more men with, you know, abuse, abusive pasts and abusive, you know, mm. uh abusive fathers? And so they have this father wound. And so then they go to yeah. this, 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 uh, this role and they get all the ma- all the male energy that they need. In this, you know, bro club. Yeah. <laughs> um, I would love to know. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I'll never I'll never get access. They'll never give me you access. Will not. <laughs> you're right. Oh my they, gosh. Will never, they will they never, will never, never they will never give you a bro card. Sorry. They will never give me access. Uh, hmm. Oh, I need to get so a, I need to get an inside man. How do get you do? Man? You probably
0: need several. You need like a whole team. I need a couple inside men. Yeah, you do. So <laughs> I wanna. I want to clarify because you, you breezed over this really quickly, and I'm pretty sure I followed just because I understand how the system works, but not everyone is going to understand. Mm-hmm. so I want to just re-clarify. So when you were talking about the danger and that women like victims of sexual abuse, victims of like domestic, domestic violence, violence. Mm-hmm. Um, you know or abuse of any kind, it doesn't really matter what category we have. but they go to their church leaders, mm-hmm. who are male. And they say there's a problem. Mm -hmm. And then I think what you were referring to is is the disciplinary process on whether the male that is accused is going to be actually disciplined in the eyes of the church. And that decision being made not with female input, but purely by the male authorities within Mm -hmm. that church, right? Right. Mm-hmm. um that is definitely something that happens in uh the Mormon church for sure which okay. is why I was able to track what you were throwing down here but um the advice that I have been told is given quite often um I'm very fortunate in that I I lucked out in the marriage department and so this has yeah. not been something I've experienced firsthand but uh what I have been told over and over and over again by women that I'm talking to is Well, I was told that I need to do something differently to avoid the abuse. I assume this is what you're seeing as well.
1: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um,
0: Yeah. Can you talk about, since this is something that you work with, um, can you talk about what that actually does to women when Mm -hmm. uh, we are in situations of abuse Uh, and we are then told that to solve the abuse, we need to just be better people and be better at sex and look nicer and wear a smaller jean size.
1: Oof, it's so common. I wish it weren't so common, but it's, it's so incredibly common. Um, and it's, and it's still happening. I guess it's like, I, I like feel like I've been talking about this, like my whole life and the fact that it's like still happening, like it should be over by now. Like we shouldn't be dealing we with should. this by now.
0: I'm interviewing someone next week. And this is, this is her story. Mm-hmm. It was be, be a, be a better wife and it'll stop.
1: Mm. Yeah. And I think that that is the damage that spiritual abuse causes. And I, I believe, and we're on the frontier of research in what spiritual abuse is and how it works and, Um, how it impacts people. I believe that there is a unique impact from spiritual abuse. When, when in the name of God to please God, your identity is stripped away. Your agency Mm. is taken away. Your power is taken away. Your voice is taken away. I believe there's something unique that happens in that type of abuse. Any type of abuse is devastating. I'm not minimizing mm-hmm. it. But I do think that there's a unique aspect to that spiritual element of of you this is what the Lord requires of you to let your husband mm-hmm. rape you. Like that's yeah. what the Lord requires of you. Um yeah. this is what the Lord requires of you. In my situation in my family of like my dad was directly line to God Mm -hmm. and to obey my father was to obey the Lord. So to disobey my father was to leave this protection of not my dad, God, like this all powerful being and the phobia that comes when you say enough, I'm not going to do this anymore. When Uh you make that decision, the phobia that that the fear, the panic, the all of that stuff that comes up for you at the other on the other side of that, like, like it's, yeah, it's just it's devastating. It's, it's a life, identity, eviscerating. And the women that I know who've gotten their lives back after going through what they've went through, like, I'm just like these women are powerful, like powerful, powerful. And like you get to interview all of them Mm -hmm. on your podcast. Like they're just powerful because to rebuild your identity from scratch when someone has completely Mm -hmm. ripped that identity away, uh, it's just, yeah, Mm -hmm. that's why I do what I do. Um, (laughs) to to see Mm. more of that happening. Um, but yeah it is it is absolutely devastating to have to be told to submit to to abuse in the yeah. name of god uh oh and it makes me so angry
0: yeah you and me both and i know and mm-hmm. i'm getting i'm sure you can probably see i'm getting a little emotional over here um <laughs> <laughs> but but it the like I, said, I was very fortunate in that mm-hmm. on the, on the husband front uh, I married a saint and I don't deserve him. I don't think uh, mm. he is just a, a gentle supportive, amazing mm-hmm. soul. And so there is a huge swath of swath of this that I avoided. Um, mm-hmm. But when mm-hmm. you talk about um, having your identity stripped in the name of God,
1: mm-hmm.
0: that is, is exactly what i've had to fight through you know Mm -hmm. and and when you said these women are so powerful like that is what drove me to do this like that is what Mm -hmm. was like enough is enough because so many of us well all of us are absolute powerhouses and we have been told that we need to be sheep and we need to shut up yeah. and it doesn't, it doesn't matter. Suffer and silence. What we're, yeah. Mm-hmm. Suffer in silence for the greater good instead mm-hmm. of, mm-hmm. It, yeah. Instead of like, Hey, listen, you have all of these amazing things that could be contributing to an actual greater good, right? Whether it is, mm-hmm. I don't even care what it is. I don't care if you're the person that helps every single person on the street. Cause you have a heart of gold or if you're the person that decides I'm going to go to college and become a nuclear physicist. And suddenly you figure out how to get a, us to jupiter like i don't care Mm -hmm. the point is is that we have all of this inside of us and the world and each other are being completely Mm -hmm. deprived yeah we are all being deprived deprived of or has been yes yes exactly and watch out makes me so angry yes we are coming and all of these people who are are walking through exactly what you're saying, which is really looking at and trying to heal from this abuse and finding your own identity and finding who we even are and what we're interested Mm in. Um, that is, is difficult (laughs) to Mm -hmm. put it mildly. Um, and I'm so grateful that you are doing what you are doing to, to Mm -hmm. be a support system for this and to offer women a place to go for healing and talking and community mm-hmm. and, and all of these things that are so, so important. How, how did, how did you get here? How did you get to a nonprofit? Cause like, listen, I took some big jumps, but I have not, that's not on my like radar.
1: <laughs> yeah. And I also wanted to, um, uh, notice, like you said, you lucked out in the marriage department and then you said you were very fortunate. And I would just say that that is a validating statement. Like when I hear people acknowledge like i got lucky like when i when i hear that um and i had I have another friend like who said that too she was just like i have a great husband who is deconstructing his internal misogyny but mm-hmm. i hate men like when she said that i was just yeah. so validating because what i see is a lot of nimcompoops and worse and and a very few good safe men that's going to sound mm-hmm. super cynical to a lot of people mm-hmm. so when i feel so- hear someone like admit like i got lucky like mm-hmm. i did like that's validating for me <laughs> good <laughs> because what i'm good. seeing is this like this horizon ain't
0: great um it, you know and i <laughs> listen i have i talk to a lot of people and i hear a lot of stories about what goes on in people's marriages and 99% of the time i
1: am like uh what <laughs> <Yeah>.
0: what because <laughs> it is it it so God, I, I i have
1: can't. more divorced friends friends and unhappy marriages or friends in abusive marriages than i have i can count on one hand the number of people who would say that they're happy in their marriage and my that gosh. i actually believe them when they say it oh like
0: it breaks marriage my scene heart. out
1: there looks terrible it terrible. breaks Now my this heart. is evangelical people i don't know if other Religions and non-religions have
0: better experience. It, uh, no, it's, <laughs> yeah, it, <laughs> see, and I, I, in Mormonism, less people are open about it because Mormonism has a concept of eternal families and it's a core mm, tenet. And so divorce is a hard. big deal. Yeah. Uh, so yeah. this, this, yeah, it's a, mm, I, 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 I probably am privy to less of the reality uh, because mm-hmm. of that. But yeah, no, they they, they, they are there. This is the advice. Listen, do you want the advice I gave to my little coffee shop girl? <laughs> she was so Give cute. me advice. <laughs> uh, so she, God, she's the sweetest, cutest thing. And she kept dating these assholes. And she was talking about it. Cause I'm in the coffee shop entirely too many hours in a day. Um, <laughs> and she, She was like, I don't understand. Like, why does this keep happening? I was like, all right, sweetie, honey, listen, this is what we're going to do. You are going to stop looking at all the pretty shiny things in the room. And you're going to stop looking at all of the peacocks. And Mm -hmm. you are going to scan the room for the quiet guy in the (laughs) corner who is Mm -hmm. not drawing attention to himself and is all too Mm -hmm. willing to just quietly help out and Mm -hmm. that's the one that you're going to go talk to the
1: rest of them just ignore them stop Stop talking to the peacocks (laughs) but in the evangelical world we have a monopoly on ugly quiet guys so
0: (laughs) oh shit that's it worked for her. She found a great guy really fast. Oh, my God. I, like, I remember going sad? to – I had
1: this conversation <laughs> with my LA, the people on staff at church in LA, and I was like, that was the first thing that I noticed when I came to interview is like – because it's in Los Angeles and everyone's beautiful in Los Angeles. And I was like, oh, like the staff is actually a, like attractive staff. And it, like, you know, everyone is. Everyone is beautiful in LA. Like seriously. Oh, that's so but funny. But I was just like, every other place that I've worked, like – Like, like that's not something that (laughs) happened.
0: Oh, see, okay. Well, and then there is,
1: there's, there's the creepy quiet, not the creepy quiet. (laughs) Go for
0: creepy quiet. There needs to be some humility there, (laughs) kindness in the eyes.
1: Yes, yes. Listen, you're just gonna take me on the phone, (laughs) and I'm not engineer dork. Not engineer dork. No, yeah. (laughs) You're you're just gonna take me on. You're just gonna take me on your dates. Engineer dork is fine. (laughs) <laughs> yeah 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 devrie i'm gonna just send them to you you're gonna check okay them out. yes and i'll be yeah. like yes no yes yes no mm-hmm. yes, yes no, yes, no yes, um because okay. listen i've my, got a I'll pretty i my, my my hinge my hinge profiles like tell me I'll
0: tell you <laughs> <laughs> i've got a pretty good meter it's, it's in the eyes it's in the eyes um and now i don't remember where we were because i gave stupid you advice you asked about me how did avoid you the get peacocks.
1: to how did you get to uh um, oh yeah the, the nonprofit.
0: nonprofit. i'm so glad you brought us back because this is important yes so yes, so nonprofit.
1: To- word to this church in LA. Um, my boss was abusive, so I've spent nine months dealing with him, and I wasn't perfect in my way that I addressed it, and it definitely was very triggering for my trauma of my upbringing, and he was very, very similar to my my father, um, but. But I I just had this thing inside of me of, like, I am not laying down and taking this. I'm fighting. I'm fighting until he gets fired or I get fired. Like, I am not taking this and I would not and it was just like he is a bully. I didn't have the word narcissist in my vocabulary at the time. I was like he is a bully and bullies are cowards and he is going to be terrified of me. I'm going to make his life miserable. I was just like like he is not gonna win. He's not gonna win. Um and so he eventually left. He eventually resigned, and went to another church, which that's not a happy ending. But he eventually resigned and then I woke up because I was dealing with him for nine months. I woke up and realized Oh, the church itself is batshit crazy. Like, this mm. is not just him. And narcissists grow, like they all grow in, in similar environments. If there's one, there's probably multiple, and there were um many, many, many. Um, and this pastor, the senior pastor of the church, was a um also a narcissist. And they um they had this whole in the Presbyterian church, there's this whole process of like Uh, accusing like an elder or pastor Um, and they had this like army of victims that just banded together and wrote a letter and participated in an investigation and 30 plus people participated in this investigation victims of his Um, and they got him removed and defrocked um, in the Presbyterian the Presbyterian version of that Um, and it, and I left the church. Um, I left the church a few months before the pastor got defrocked and I, and I, I had already known, like, even if he gets removed, like the church itself is like, like infested. Like it's not like this system needs a narcissist and they're just going to get another one. Um, and they already had one. (laughs) They already had it. The person was already there before I even left. Um, and so I left and I, and even before I left, I had this idea because I'm like, I'd been to seminary, I'd been in the mission field, I'd worked in multiple churches, I'd lived all over the country. I'm like, I know people, like I know people all over the country, I know people all over the world, and I'm hearing stories very similar to what I, what I went through. Like, I'm yeah. hearing lots of stories. And I'm like, this isn't like an isolated thing to this church. Like, this is this is something happening in a lot of places. And so I started having this vision for like a retreat. For like all of these people who've survived mm. abuse in the church, yeah, to so like go and just have fun, relax, and whatever. Um, and so I just started researching um, and calling people, would find out if anyone's doing something similar. Nobody was doing anything like this. Uh, I found like one couple who had like a um, a facility in Maryland that was like a, like a treatment facility for people who have left cults. Like they were talking Mm -hmm. about some of the stuff that they like did with people. I was like, I needed that. (laughs) Like I needed that retreat center of just like kind of detoxing from that cult um, uh, uh, indoctrination. Um, And so, and they were Christians. And so they um, were very, understanding of how the Bible was used in these places and could and knew the impact of that. Um, there's sweet, 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 sweet couple. Um, but that was it. Like that was all, the only thing I found and like spiritual abuse, like wasn't even something that people talked about really. There were a couple books available, um, but not a lot. Um, and so I, I was just like, I'm going to make this podcast. And I wasn't sure if it was going to be part of the nonprofit or not, but ended up being part of the nonprofit, Called a few people and begged them to be on my board. (laughs) Um, And then COVID hit. And so uh, when COVID hit, that just started this like mass exodus from the church because people Uh couldn't go. And so all these people were like, completely constructing their faith. And like, I'm like over here, like doing my little podcast and like, you know, starting this little nonprofit and writing a few blog posts or whatever. And all of this is happening. And I'm like, oh, another article. Ooh, another article. Oh, another f- pastor's fallen. Oh, another pastor's yeah. fallen. and It's just like happening all over the place. Um, but yeah, I think it just kind of came from this. Like, I mean, I, I originally wanted to like be a pastor um, and, to, like worked in churches where like I wasn't allowed to um and so I think that just like that desire and I think when I was leaving the the cults I had had this like idea of like I want this house for these women because like so much of my what was kept me from leaving was financial like I didn't have a mm. job I didn't have a resume I didn't have work experience I didn't have a car and so like I want a house that they can like escape to and then they can like get work experience and they can learn how to write a resume and they can learn how to do an interview and they can get a job, you know, like, like all of these. Yeah. And so that, that kind of started like way, 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 way back. Um, and so it just kind of morphed into this, um, this sanctuary for survivors of, of spiritual abuse. And again, it's like, I mean, I think a lot of people have heard that term before, um, uh, but it's very new. Like that term is, is yeah. new. That term is um, still being researched. Will be being researched for a long time. The impact of the trauma that it has in people. Um, yeah, it's just yeah, it's going to be around for a while. Um, yeah. and the people, yeah, there's just a lot of people, a lot of people who yeah. have experienced so
0: this. What does this? What does this look like? Is this an online place? Is it in person? Is there? Are there counseling offered? Is it like what? Um, what can someone expect if they? you know, pulled
1: up Tears of Eden. Yeah. As far as a, as as a help. Yeah. The hope for it to be like a hub of resources. So we have the podcast and then we're like review articles, review books, have survivor stories and all that kind of stuff on the, on the website. If people like, if you want to just reference, um, you know, I would need to learn about spiritual abuse. You can go to our page that says spiritual abuse 101. And it's a lot of different books and articles and stories about spiritual abuse, anything that's out there. We're trying to put it in one place. Mm -hmm. Um, And then we're building out the community part of it. We're doing it very, very, very slowly because we're working with trauma survivors and we want to make sure it's safe and we want to make sure we're not getting ahead of ourselves, and and we want to make sure that when we're putting survivors in a group together, that we're equipping them with tools to to regulate and understand their experience. And so um, we have had one class um, that I refer to as like the first year of Hogwarts, and then we have our second class that's going right now that's going to end in July, um, and we have those meetings online, they're on Zoom, and then we have a Facebook private Facebook group where folks can interact with each other and share stories and um, uh, we go over vocabulary words and and we're hoping to make that a more consistent community where we can do workshops and we can do gatherings. And and then we have recently started talking about doing like an in-person retreat for survivors mm-hmm. because of um, just regulations being open. And then also it's yeah. just, just so internet's wonderful and not, Dogging it at all. I'm so grateful yeah. for the connection that internet provides. But when you get to be with people in person and share your stories in person and bring that abused part of yourself to the table yeah. uh, with people who have been there too, it's just amazing. And so yeah. uh, we're doing that virtually now, and we really hope to uh, maybe next year have something in person for people. Yeah. So oh, that's beautiful. Yeah, that's what I doing. think. It, it is really important to
0: hear. And see your own story, you know. <laughs> um, I remember, and I, I wrote this in one of my sample chapters for the book that I'm working on, and and it's like you know we sit in these rooms with all of these women, and we're having these thoughts of like this isn't right, or I don't agree, or this feels bad. Mm-hmm. But we look around, and what we see is a bunch of women smiling and nodding. Right, that happiness, like that smiling and the nodding of the head, and you and you think, oh my god, I'm the only one. Like Mm -hmm. I am the only one having these thoughts and in this magnitude of a choice, like that's a problem, right? Like we're talking about Mm -hmm. God and hell and like damnation, like, and to think you're the only one is very, very difficult. And so Mm -hmm. to be able to have a place to go and Mm -hmm. connect and be like, oh my God, I'm not alone is one of the most powerful things that we can gift someone else or ourselves because it, Mm -hmm. it takes all the shame off. You're like, Oh my God, I'm not crazy. I'm not bad. I'm not evil. I'm not Mm -hmm. the only one. And now I feel strong enough to move forward. Like I feel strong Mm -hmm. enough to keep walking.
1: Yeah. Mm -hmm. So that's beautiful. Absolutely beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. And those are the two things that, um, we have found are, are helpful. I mean, for any trauma survivor, but, Um, in the spiritual abuse department, because it's not something that's recognized by everyone as like a real abuse or the understanding of the damage that it causes is not, um, fully understood to have the language to name your experience, but then also to be with other people who say, who could say I've been there too, um, that that's where that healing comes from. And so that's, that's kind of the two, the two pillars, I guess, of what we're focusing on doing is Right. resources to name the experience and community of people to just go on that journey with you.
0: Yeah. So. Oh, I love it. Okay. You said something and we're getting, cl- we need to wrap up here soon, but, um, this hit really hard cause this is a little bit of a soapbox of mine and I'm excited mm-hmm. to hear your thoughts on it. Um, you said, I believe you cannot really forgive someone unless you acknowledge the magnitude of the damage mm-hmm. they have done.
1: Oh boy. How much time we have <laughs>
0: Listen, we have what time we need. I'm just, you know, I'm giving
1: us a little like let's a little a little room, (laughs) right? I know, I know, and I I have been trying to find someone for the for my podcast who like specializes in forgiveness and or has a definition that actually like I've seen people post like forgiveness is this and forgiveness is not this and blah 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 and I have yet to find something that I'm like ooh ooh grab onto that um. Uh, like that really works to you know to have that conversation um uh, because I think forgiveness is a real thing, um, mm-hmm. but I just haven't found something that I'm just like, ooh, that like really yeah. resonates with me um, but I do know in my own story, um this is particularly with my with my father um it, about three ish years ago um i I realized like it was time to to sever completely that relationship um and it was already dead like we hadn't talked in years and i would do the awkward side hug whenever i saw him and Mm -hmm. didn't like being around him and would purposefully finagle like the table restaurant table to like so i wouldn't have to sit next to him and i wouldn't have to talk to him and always feeling like the shame eyes from my family of like you're so bitter and you're so angry and um and so about 3 years ago I made that decision. I was like we're done. It's over. Yeah. No relationship, done. Um and I was at a wedding, my cousin's wedding a couple years ago, uh, and he came at me to try and hug me and it was very uh I was like I'm going to get to him first. I w- I had walked through this <laughs> this whole plan with my therapist of like how this is going to work cuz I I'm like he is not touching me. Um and, and he like came at me and I dodged him and he did it publicly. Like there were other people around and people watching because uh, he was like, Oh, she won't like, I know, I know his game. I know his game. He he didn't think that I would embarrass him uh, <laughs> or embarrass yeah. myself. And I, Oh, I did. I did. <laughs> I dodged him. Um, and so when I made that choice of like this, like acknowledging the magnitude of the damage and allowed myself to feel all that anger at what he did. And even I would say probably borderline hate Um, when I allowed myself to acknowledge that damage, like it was like, I was finally able to grieve, you know, I was finally able to like, say this is not the way it was supposed to be. And you failed and you fucked up. And, and once that grief happened, I will say that I'll still have waves. Like I'll have waves of grief and I'll have waves of anger that still comes. It will probably come for the rest of my life. I have no anticipation of like never grieving or never being angry at my upbringing ever again. I don't think that's ever going to happen. I don't think that's realistic. That's not a goal I'm searching for, (laughs) Um, but I will say that my predominant emotion or predominant just posture towards my dad now is compassion because Mm. he has destroyed his life Mm -hmm. and just a sadness for what he's done to his life because I'm no longer, like, I don't have these walls up to like protect myself from him because it's over, it's done. And I'm able to grieve and I'm able to weep and I've been able to be angry and punch a lot of things and break a lot of things. And, and because I have that, that feeling of compassion and I will say full (laughs) without any doubt in my mind, I will never be in relationship with him again. Like that will never happen. Like that compassion does not lead to me wanting to be in relationship with him. Mm -hmm. Um, I only, I mean, he's, he's a very dangerous Man, he might be even a sociopath. So I'm like, I'll never be in relationship with him again. But I still have that compassion for that inhumanness that he has embraced and that he lives in. And so I will say for the first time, for real, (laughs) I have forgiven him. And that forgiveness has led to a severing. Like Mm, forgiveness meant severing here, Mm -hmm. fully forgiving meant suffering and i don't know if anyone else in the world will will agree with that definition of forgiveness but i'm just like like i do i really feel like that forgiveness has finally happened because i'm allowed to forgive him now like i can when we treat forgiveness like this thing of like means ignoring the damage ignoring the evil yeah ignoring the abuse it isn't it cannot be forgiveness that cannot be forgiveness it's not yeah um i i think you have to acknowledge the magnitude in order to get to that place if you ever do and you might not and i am the last person to say that people have to do that because that has been so manipulated in the church telling people they have to forgive and (laughs) have yeah. to reconcile whatever like no 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 no. you may yeah. never and i'm not gonna judge you you may yeah. be pissed off for the rest of your life i have an instagram post go- going up next week called the father's day toolbox when you want to punch your father in the face <laughs> because i still want to punch my dad in the face yeah
0: yeah how are I we think gonna this really toxic um belief system and I it probably stemmed from the church that is if we need to forgive someone, uh, and or especially if this is someone that we love, right? So family members specifically, that we aren't allowed to say anything bad because of the good things they've done or because of, uh, yeah. you know, their family mm-hmm. and or God said so. And mm-hmm. I think what it does, and what you're, what you've just said, so so lo- you know nicely, is when we can't emotionally process the situation, we cannot emotionally move forward, mm-hmm. and. We talked about that earlier in the podcast with the fake happiness, right? Because you Mm -hmm. were just emotionally bypassing your entire life, right? Not we can't Mm -hmm. process, so we can't actually feel real happiness. And once you process, you felt real happiness. Mm -hmm. And it's the same with this. Like if we need to forgive, if we want to forgive for our own benefit, because that's really what forgiveness is about, is so that we don't suffer these awful feelings, right? Um, We have to process, and in order to process, we must. Have the freedom to say, "Listen, I and and my parental situation again is different than yours. There were problems, but like not to mm-hmm. the degree that I'm hearing. You're you a normal
1: dysfunctional family, <laughs> right?
0: Exactly, like everybody yeah. else. Yeah, um, but like this this idea that oh well, they they loved you and they cared for you and they sacrificed mm-hmm. for you, therefore you are now not allowed."
1: Mm-hmm. to say
0: or think anything bad or negative and that steals from us the ability to process it and then to arrive at the place that you are saying which mm-hmm. is a place of compassion and understanding without mm-hmm. acceptance because you can absolutely. have compassion and understanding without saying yeah. give me more of that give me more absolutely. of that like I,
1: yeah absolutely and so i love, and a boundary love- of like i like this is inhuman behavior, and I'm not going to accept it. As you said, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah.
0: So I think, and and you know, when we start processing, and this is not going to be applicable to you. I don't feel like at all, but I think it might be applicable to someone that's listening. For me, when I started processing this, once I opened that door of okay. What are we actually looking at? What am I actually mad about here? Mm -hmm. What's What harmed me and how did it harm me and what was the fallout of that? There were a lot of things that I was able to identify as as very harmful to me individually. Mm
1: -hmm. However,
0: there were also some things that I realized, oh shit, I've been blaming my parents for this Mm -hmm. and this is actually my problem here mm. and i'm gonna need to work through some of these issues
1: because yeah, like they didn't all of give this that on them. to you and you kind of blame right me for giving it to you yeah 100 mm-hmm.
0: but again mm-hmm. i couldn't get there to work out my issue in that situation until i opened the door the mm-hmm. acknowledgement and the ability to yeah just acknowledge the, mm-hmm. the damage and acknowledge the reality of the situation instead of you know, pushing everything to the side and putting our fingers in our ears and doing the like la la la, la just forgive because God said so, um, is is yeah. critical. So I was so happy to see that on your uh, Instagram page because I
1: think it's yeah. it's powerful and, and yeah, something that and I just do. yeah, I'm still working on that. Like, what is for you know, <laughs> like, what is forgiveness? Like, how do how do we define that? How do we? And I don't know if that's just like leftover from yeah. my my background of just like needing some kind of like definition or like what does this look like and maybe yeah can I give you mine I want to give you mine yes give give me yours because what I just thought of okay what what I just thought of is like I should just like interview like a shit ton of people of like what is forgiveness and then not use all of them <laughs> just, like, just cherry let's, pick. Put, let's put and put don't a tell piece them these, yeah <laughs> or just like putting a piece of these things together um yeah. and i yeah maybe even put that disclaimer like i'm trying to build a definition of forgiveness and i i can't find one that i like so i'm just yeah. taking a conglomeration of things and i might yeah. not use yours
0: yeah so. <laughs> absolutely absolutely so yes. this what is, is your I'm, definition? Okay, listen, this is gonna be slightly long because I don't know how to speak, if not an allegory, so okay. like just work, just settle in for the setup. I like allegory <laughs> yeah, this is for you and everyone at home. Settle in for the setup, okay, yeah, yeah, um, and I don't know, I might actually do a little individual thing on this and and put it out, but i uh I think I'm getting a decent handle on forgiveness in my opinion, but I learned it uh through forgiveness of myself. And I, I, Mm. I really kind of think that that's probably the only way to learn it, honestly. So I grew up, um, I'm a, I'm a high needs kind of girl. Like I push Mm -hmm. hard. I do things all the way. Like I don't, if I, I just don't do things halfway. And so I had this time, I was, uh, teaching voice lessons to, I don't know how many students I had a decent number. I was running a preschool out of my house. Uh, My husband's job means that I either have him full time or I'm a single mom, like just depending on the schedule. Mm -hmm. And I was also, I had two kids like five and three or three and two. I don't know. They were young. And then uh, massive health problems. I was in taking like hydrocodone Mm -hmm. and morphine to sleep every night. Um, Anxiety, Mm -hmm. depression. I was on like there was just, it was ridiculous. And Mm -hmm. I was just pushing, 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 pushing. And I would get so mad at myself constantly for not being enough, which is definitely stems Mm -hmm. from religion, right? Um, And from personality and raising and blah, 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 blah. Not the point. The point was I was always upset at how I had responded to something, how, uh, what I did or didn't get done, et cetera. Mm-hmm. And um, I had a really unique and crazy experience in that uh, I figured out uh, something that was causing a lot of my health issues. And it was mm-hmm. a very easy supplementation fix.
1: So Ooh, I start taking nice. this uh,
0: supplement. I know I, this, I could talk about this forever. So I'm trying to just breeze over it, and not be a crazy person. Uh, but I started taking this supplementation And I, there was one day that changed everything. Like my life just shifted. And I remember, I remember where I was. I remember what I was doing. I was standing at the door. I'm on the phone. My daughter's jumping on the trampoline. It's a beautiful sunny day. And all of a sudden my brain flipped from this depressed, anxious, awfulness that I had existed in my whole life to happy. Like the Mm -hmm. colors were brighter. I could laugh for the first time in forever. It was like a chemical imbalance had been uh fixed right. in my head and it was instantaneous. But because it was instantaneous, this was the biggest gift I could have ever received because what happened was there was no slow lead-in where I just slowly got used mm-hmm. to my new life and how I could function and like how I could think. It was one day I was suddenly a different person and I for the first time ever looked at my life and instead of being upset with myself and instead of being like, God, why couldn't you do more? Why are you such a loser? Yeah. I was like, how in the fuck did I do any of the shit I was doing? Mm-hmm. I am amazing. Oh, my yeah. God. I shouldn't have been able to do any of that. That's yeah. insane. And what that did is it drove home that quote by my um, Angelou of if you know better, you do better. Ooh. Because I realized that, like, was my behavior and my choices uh optimal for what I would have preferred? No. Could I have done any more than I was doing? No. Absolutely yeah. not. And I could see it so clearly. And so from that lesson, it's kind of spiraled out and gotten bigger and bigger to the point where, listen, I'm not saying people don't piss me off, because they do, mm-hmm. but I Really understand when I see people behaving poorly
1: mm-hmm. or saying things
0: that are hurtful to me or to someone else. Once I can step back from that initial emotional reaction, because I'm not a robot and I have feelings, mm-hmm. right? Once I can step back from that, I can start to see who they are as a person, what's created mm-hmm. their behaviors, why they're acting the way they're acting, why they feel that they need to act the way that they're acting and Mm a hundred percent. I understand to my core, if they could do better, they would, Mm. they would. Is their best kind of shitty right now? Yep. (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yes, it is, Mm -hmm. but it doesn't matter because that is all that they have to give. And that Mm -hmm. for me is a place of forgiveness and compassion. Like I don't have to Mm -hmm. like it. I don't have to agree with it. I don't have to take it. I don't have Mm to present, like bring this into my life, but I can 100% forgive you with compassion Mm
1: -hmm. because
0: if you could have done better, you would have done better. And that's all you had. And how in the hell can I be mad at someone Mm -hmm. who couldn't do any better than what they did?
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that would be, I would resonate with that for most people. Yeah. Yeah. But I feel like there are some people that are just the next level of evil. And they yeah. they do things for self-gratification that and I'm th- I'm thinking uh I know we're going over time, but I'm thinking of like a book that I'm listening to right now. And um it's on the um oh gosh, why can't I think of his name? But the the Shang the Shang Li um Marvel hero guy, it's his his memoir. And his parents are abusive, but in the story, like, his parents are being abusive out of their trauma, and you could see that very clearly, Mm -hmm. like, they are traumatized, and the way their child is behaving is because of his trauma, and their trauma is reacting to his trauma, and that, Mm -hmm. and you can see that in the story, and I would say that applies to them. Like if they yeah, could yeah, do yeah, yeah. better, but where they are in their trauma and where they are in their story, like it's still abusive. It's still not okay. I'm still not going to be okay with you, you know, locking your child outside, your 12 year old child outside. I'm still not going to be okay with you smacking your child on the head because he took the wrong girl to the dance. Like I'm still not going to be okay with that. But I also understand that's calming out of your trauma. Um, and then I see some of these cases like in the church and abuse and just – and my own father and just like this incredible like crafty, deliberate um, manipulation and lying yeah. and um, misogyny and using people and um, and not one person do they interact with in a healthy way. You know, Mm -hmm. and any semblance of health is a total facade. I'm like, "Eh." yeah, (laughs) I don't know. I don't
0: know. I don't know. See, it's so hard because, yeah, some of that that is created from extreme trauma and then it would apply, but there is evil. There are people that
1: are evil, evil. and
0: I think that would be the exception to most. Most mm-hmm. things, you know.
1: Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I'm it so does sorry. it does exist. Um, but I would say that that's absolutely so true about so many people, though. Of just like, yeah. if you know better, you do better, and they just don't know better right now. Yeah, and where there are, yeah, yeah. And people, how many things do I pain. not know better about that I'm doing mm-hmm. right now? Actually, no, I'm, I'm there. I'm You're better. there. You've got it I'm, all under control. Excellent. Excellent. Yes. Fully healed.
0: Perfect. Perfect. We can have lessons. Fully baked. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. I love it. Oh my God. Okay. We are gonna have to wrap this up, but I'm so 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 glad you came on. Thank you for sharing everything you did about your own story and your own trauma and the work that you're doing. Yes, absolutely. Thank you so much for coming on. It was a joy to have you here. And I will be putting in the show notes all of like tears of eden and the um oh my god i know the name of your podcast Un- uncertain Un-
1: are you on i was like uncharted
0: no uncharted no <laughs> um, uncertain. uncertain <laughs> awesome.
1: awesome.
0: yes so the uncertain podcast tears of eden um all of your social media stuff we'll be putting in the show notes so people can thank find you me. and find support um and yes it's just been a joy so thank you so much Catherine. If you enjoyed this podcast, please consider taking the time to like, rate, review, and share. Let's make sure that when someone clicks on this podcast, that our voices are the loudest. Love you all.